0: Welcome to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host and producer. I'm here with Sal Maronello, the star of the show. The show we're presenting you today, it's our 104th episode on the network. This is The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Uh, before we, we get to Sal, he's going to introduce what he's going to share with us and educate us on today. Uh, I want to remind our 9,500 faithful subscribers from 46 different countries to make sure that you... Tell your friends, and you continue to do this, download, like, well, listen first, then like it second, subscribe. It helps us out with showing the great numbers that we've been able to produce thus far, and it obviously makes us more valuable to the podcast community, which allows us to continue to bring the show to you. We also want to remind you that we've stayed ad-free and sponsor-free so that we can be full of content with you for the entire half hour, 45 minutes, hour that we're here. If you want to support an individual show, uh, please go to patreon.com. In this case, Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Feel free to donate to this particular podcast. It will help Coach Sal continue to bring phenomenal content to you, one-of-a-kind content you're not going to get anywhere else. And as we always say, we're going to continue to uh, build better baseball IQs, but in in this case, we're broadening a little bit. We build better IQs in general. And I tell Sal, I come away with two new SAT words for my kids every time we have an episode. So... He's impacting me as well as you guys. So, Sal, welcome back to your show, the star
1: of the show. And what do you got for us today? Thanks, Dave. Um, You know, we've talked a little bit about some of these subjects uh, at one point or another, either off the air or in our other show. And there are some pretty big general statements you could make that will always help you kind of find your center when talking about how we should be training and preparing for sport. And one of the key ones, and I think you, it's hard to get any more um, any more central to to the to the concept than this phrase of we want to train movements and not muscles, <clears throat> and, um, and and that's a way of saying we're doing things that actually have a purpose and have and and are, are what we're doing in our in an, in our endeavor. And I treat people that don't play sports and are coming to me for general fitness the same way as we um, as, as I treat my athletes and I'll, I'll stop here and then we could get back and forth on this. But the key thing, and I've said this a hundred times, you have to be on your feet when you're training, you know, if you're, I'm going to the gym and I, I can be at my station and I kind of get into an area and move around just a very little bit, but I kind of find my space. Uh, I'm on my feet the entire time. And even in my facility, you know, I don't let anybody sit during their workout. Um, so you don't sit during the workout, and you certainly shouldn't sit during your workout when you're working out. And if you can picture a lot of these machines in the gym that most people use, they're sitting in they're sitting in a seat basically the whole time. So uh, that's a very uh, a central message in what we're trying to get into the populace and to the general public's mind is. We're training movements. We're not training muscles. And you, and, and a great way to, to look at that is you should always be on your feet when you're exercising.
0: Train on your feet. I, I like that. And you're right. As I, I'm thinking about uh, my workout earlier today and the types of machines or stations they have there, I would say outside of the, the chin-up squat area, everything is seated. And uh, that's an interesting concept. And I agree with you. And it goes back to your phrase that, that you, you brought up, functional training. Um, and I, I, I know a lot of people who are yoga instructors, and I, I deem yoga to be, I could be wrong. I deem it to be stretching. Um, I, a lot of people who lift, that's training the muscle. Uh, I'm always searching for mobility. That seems to be my happy ground. It may just be a phrase for me. But uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on those two areas?
1: Well I, I would say it is mobility is is a, is a better word than stretching and I think in fairness to yoga yoga is about mobility they're trying to get mobility around the joint and you know they they have a fair amount of rotation and movement in in the multiple planes in all three planes which we want to get I've gotten away from functional training because you could go on Instagram and if we had a if we had a number we picked 20 We could go through the first 20 posts that we see that use the term functional training. Most times you'd be hard pressed to come up with what the actual function is. I use the term purposeful training because I've seen planks be advertised as functional training. I've seen all kinds of things that are kind of off the beaten path that don't have anything to do with function, especially as it's being, um, as, as it's being used in a sport, in a sport sense or preparing for sports sense, there's no accuracy there. So I like to say, what's the purpose of it? You know, if you are, again, I like to pick on the plank because so many people use it and it's, you know, it's up there with the bench press is one of the biggest wastes of time in the history of preparing for sport or for just general workout. Um, what's the, what's the, you know what the the purpose or the even if you wanted to say function what is the what is the plank doing for you it's what's the purpose of it? We don't operate in a horizontal stance whether we're on our hands and toes in a push up position or on our forearms and toes in a a, a more true plank position so um yeah I, I I think mobility is the key to all of these things, and mobility you obviously you have to be on your feet for mobility. And you know what, for the most part, I will give you, there are a couple of exercises in the gym that you can do that I will um, agree, sit, it's not bad to be seated. One is the seated row, which is, you know, where you're pulling that weight towards you or a pull, seated pull down. I think those are two that if you're going to sit, those are the good ones. Any other exercise that you're going to tell me is done seated, I could give you at least two or three other things that are done better, not seated.
0: I'm glad those are two exercises I did yesterday with the seated row and the seated pull down. So I was starting to feel guilty about that. Now you mentioned it, but I, I, the validation.
1: Yeah. Those are, I use those, you know, I like that because I don't have that in my facility because it's a, uh, economics of both, sp- of both space and budget. When I built the place, uh, for as much as I could do, I could, you know, don't want the machine taking up that space in my space because I have a limited space. So, uh, but in, when I go to I go to a big gym, it's my splurge, and you know I'll say you know today I'm going to do those two things because I rarely do them. But I could still come up with other exercises that are just as effective. But you know, you have to have a little you know of the uh, of, of of the uh, guilty pleasure, if you will.
0: Yeah. They, so I've got two questions off of what we were talking about. Uh, one is an exercise. The other one is kind of taking pers- purposeful training to. Uh, real, real sport. So with the, with the exercise, and I've seen this with, I guess, spinning, but when, what about when people go in and they ride the bike? Um, I've seen, and I've done, I don't like riding the bike. I'm not a big fan. I'd rather jump rope, but when I've done it, I stand up. I can't sit on the seat. Um, what's your thoughts on the bike riding? Is that something that, Hey, sit down, stand up useless.
1: Uh, I think the bike is good because it's not weight bearing. So, (coughs) Once you are got some miles on you, whether it's because you've done a lot of training, you've spent a lot of time in the gym, or you're dealing with injuries from either a lifetime of sport, or just that's what time can do to people, the bike is a very good alternative because of that non-weight-bearing, um, component. Uh, I like, I have, Dave, a combat cycle. It's by, um, Oh, God, I have, it's an assault bike. I'm sorry, an assault bike. And it's it's really the the lesser, less expensive version of the Schwinn Airdyne, which is the bike that has the big fan wheel in the front. Uh, I do high intensity training on that. So I'm only on the bike for, you know, a maximum of four minutes where you're doing intervals. So you're you're trying to kill yourself and working as hard as you can. In a period of time, but that's ultimately no longer than four minutes with a work to rest uh, program in there. But I love the bike and I think it's a great way to push your upper uh, cardiovascular conditioning. I actually have uh, some pro lacrosse players that really don't do much running in season and they use the bike and they don't need to uh, do anything extra. Okay.
0: It's it's packed at at our gym. Everybody, I mean, the bikes are always filled up. So it's good to know that uh, they're doing good stuff for their bodies. Now, as far as purposeful training, I talk quite a bit with Ted Kubiak, former Oakland A's infielder, uh, wrote the book Old School. Um, He's a big fan of yours and your show. He'll text me after every show with a question. So I know that you got uh, a big-time listener out there with Ted. But we talk often about fielding ground balls. That's his passion. Right. And so my question to you is, and and I may be oversimplifying it, but to, to build your body up and your legs up, which we believe is uh, important to be a great infielder, to build those up, isn't the best way to do it is to just field ground balls?
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm glad that 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 Ted listens to the show and has nice things to say because he's a fellow Jersey guy and uh, he grew up not far from where I did, I believe. So um would love to have him on. But that's the old, you know, Coach Jim Radcliffe, who was the legendary strength coach out at it, the University of Oregon, who I've gotten to know, and he's still involved there with their track program, he always says the best way to run fast is to run fast. You know, it's like it's, it's, a, it's a Yogi berra almost, but it, it's true. You know, there, can, Dave, you, you're a multi-sport guy. I mean, I, I played baseball growing up. I uh, watch it all the time. How many other sports get you in that position with those demands of fielding a ground ball?
0: Yeah, in fact, the two sports that I played – Couldn't have been more opposite in terms of training methods with basketball and baseball. I mean, those are probably the two worst combinations you could do. And um, I found that I became – the only thing that rivaled ground balls were me picking up another point guard full court and just turning them. Um, It was a similar type of half-step movement. Uh, The only difference was it was, you know, you're going two steps to your right and then you're trying to change the guy's direction. That's not really what a ground ball is, but that was the closest possible thing.
1: Right. And so it's not close. and 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 here, here this is the exercise I would go through with the defender of the status quo, which is injuring guys in record numbers, so okay, so we talk about the unique quality property of the fielding of a ground ball, and also on top of it, it is the ultimate ultimate open skill open skill means your involvement is. You have to totally react. You have no preconceived idea of what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to get hit a ground ball. And then when the ground ball comes, you don't know if it's going to be hard. It's going to be slow. The fields are all different. So you have the ultimate open skill. That means the environment, you have a base runner possibly passing in front of you. You have all these things going on. What possibly do you see in the gym, especially with these coaches that want to throw weights at everybody, that would – Get you in the right position that would help. Do, do you see anything, or can you think of anything offhand? No, no, no. So, so now we have a situation. But you're going to get the guy, and I'm I'm not being sexist. It's guys, as far as I know. You're going to get the guy that says, "Well, we squat because and we deadlift because you have to be in that strong in that bottom position, and that is just just if if you get that answer, that's a, a remarkable. Uh, display of not understanding how the body works and how training is supposed to hit, uh, aid and carry over into your endeavor.
0: Yeah, well, hits on the concept that you wanted to kind of get into today was, you know, training movements over training muscles. Right. Just because a guy can squat or and not to get into the physical strength thing that we had that we went through. We have the conversations about the steroids. Steroids make a guy strong, but they don't make him able to hit the ball. Correct. Um, so the, the skill itself is being put on the back burner over the the actual lifting or whatever else they're trying to do to comp, to develop muscle.
1: Well, and that you know that being said, you know we could we could do an, that should be a show because I could go on and on about that too. But with with the the competency of a major league player, without doing anything else, the guy on steroids is still going to be able to do stuff the other guy off steroids can't. You know, assuming a certain baseline. So, but, you know, and you go into this whole methodology of what we're doing to develop these athletes and it's staring you right in the face. I think you had a drill or you mentioned it about how you would speed up the process of of fielding ground ball. So you're you're getting a little bit of it, a little bit of it under fatigue, you're making them work hard and you're getting a lot of reps in in a short period of time. You know, those are the things you need to do um, and come up with an appropriate amount Of work in that short period of time so that the skill doesn't deteriorate, but that's what we should be doing.
0: Yeah. There's a happy medium. And I'm a big, people always ask whenever I get emails or texts or, or anything on social, people always ask me for drills and I'm not a big drill coach. I tell them, I said, I'm more of a skill coach. And I think the thing we were talking about with the ground balls, it's, it's fielding ground balls with the mindset of, technique is important as is speed but if there's something that's going to be sacrificed we're going to sacrifice the speed to get the technique so you become strong in that movement so that your body will tell you when it's time to speed up so we constantly are tinkering with the speed but never at the expense of the technique of the movement
1: well especially you know for a beginner or a person learning a skill at any level you don't want to teach in the state of fatigue you can train you could train that in fatigue once they've gotten their technique down and you actually should do that. But yeah, when you're teaching it, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to have the person in a state of fatigue. And and the other thing is there is an appropriate level where you can really push someone, but you can't do that all the time either because then their form suffers because they're always in a state of fatigue and then they're not operating in the same manner. So like you said, there's a, there's a, a, a balance between that. And that's what that's where the art of coaching comes in it's not just a science
0: yeah understanding your your learner how they learn how they they communicate socialize is super important i'm seeing a ton of stuff and you you had commented on one of the the movements i had my four kids doing earlier today with it's one of their coordination drills called rotation and we were rotating the balls i think they were doing it clockwise while the two were moving two were stationary but the stationary ones had their feet moving We'll do a counterclockwise. They'll do one session on command where one of the the four of them is calling it out clockwise, counterclockwise, knee level, waist level, chest level. So they're varying heights and degrees. And then we'll do another one where it's follow the leader. There's no communication other than visual uh, just to kind of test them. Um, I'm seeing stuff out there. Why I'm putting some of our stuff out there. I'm usually private about it, but I'm seeing more stuff out there in all sports, but we'll go basketball and baseball because that's my background. Where kids are standing still or they're dry or they're doing, you know, Jeff Fry had one of those kids on a balanced ball, which I like, but they were just tossing a ball back and forth for like 15, 20 minutes. And um, what, what's your thoughts on, get, tell me what you liked and didn't like about what I put up today. And then um, some of the things you see out there as purposeful training with kids with the sport and then stuff that's just not.
1: Well I think when you're it's a it's a kid driven environment, I mean an athlete driven environment that's important. I mean one of the phrases I got from uh Vern Gambetta was, you know, uh athlete centered, coach driven, which is what you need. You need the athlete to be the center of it. Too many of these programs the coach is the center. Uh, we've had this discussion about the snowboard, the ski and snowboard uh program that had become an Olympic sport. Um, You know, snowboarding and skateboarding, you had these guys, these kids, boys and girls that had no coaches going out and doing these amazing things. And they tried to pigeonhole them into the outline of of how a traditional sport is trained for. And they had a lot of trouble and they had to change their ways. I knew people involved. I knew the guy who was the head of the uh, USA Ski and Snowboard. And I knew uh, a woman who was one of his um, assistants who would actually implement the programs. They had to change their perception because these these kids had never had coaches. There's actually a paper that was written about the skateboard sport and how there's no coaches involved. So, you know, it's great. You've given your kids the necessary tools for them to have a drill and then give them a unique way to make the varieties that they seem when they want to. uh, You know, and it should be a spontaneous thing because then if these things become too rehearsed, then they're not they're no longer a stimulus.
0: Yeah. Nothing we do in the sports world is, you know, as much as analytics tries to make it be prescribed and predictable, very little of it's predictable. In fact, it's, it's uh I, that's why I like sports it's chaos. And I think with chaos comes creativity and uh I'll, I can go on and on with that, but I won't get on the soapbox with it. What, well, what about That, some
1: that brings stuff? up a good point because I have this discussion with a, a basketball guy. He, he's a colleague and he was um uh, a, a client of one of my colleagues and now he's gotten into the basketball space. He's very active on Instagram. <clears throat> his name is Bobby White, W-H-Y-T-E. You should check him out. And we have this whole discussion and he gets criticized because when he shows his drills, there's a lot of chaos, stumbling, you know, are they traveling or they palming or they maybe not doing but at the end of the day, he's teaching them how to operate and to exist in this chaotic situation. And the other thing we talk about is it's it's a creative environment, and when you're a coach, you want your kids to be creative. You need them. You need their brain to be as able to move in 360 degrees as their body is. So that's a big part of what's missing in coaching too. I agree. I,
0: I one of the adages I used to have, and I was fortunate to to be around some good coaches at a young age. I always clung to the older guys. Um, I always felt that. As a basketball or baseball coach, I wasn't equipped to affect their physical quickness in a big way as much as I could affect their mental quickness. Um, So our practices were designed to move quickly, short, short segments so they could concentrate, not a lot of time between drills. And I never had a whistle or anything like that during practices, regardless of the sport. And the commands always came from the players. So I had to have, so they got used to looking at their teammates instead of me all the time for the answers. And okay. if you came into one of my practices the first two weeks of the year and you you could understand what was going on, then I wasn't doing a very good job. Um, I wanted chaos. I wanted yes. chaos because that's what the game is. Accomplish it, figure it out yourselves. And once they got it, have success for a short time, then I'd add a little bit more stimulus to it and make it, make it uneasy for them. I wanted them to train on the other side of comfortability at all times.
1: Yeah. Once they have the baseline, then you could create chaos based on what they can do. And then you draw back and teach them more. And then you add chaos to the mix again. That's how they learn.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the problem with our, We won't get into education too much, problem with our education system. It's it's great at, and, and some of this YouTube stuff that I see, it's great at imparting, I'll, I'll loosely call it knowledge, um, but it's awful at generating creativity and genius Um and that's what it's going to take to develop the next wave of athlete, um, you know, stop controlling them, stop, you know, putting them in a box, afraid of making mistakes. And they're, they're fragile in a lot of ways. And, you know, we, we, we want to teach the baseline. We want to get out of this cookie cutter approach. But every athlete, every every kid has some genius in them. And it's, it's our job. Um, you know, if, if you listen, we had a great podcast, Jeff Fry, last night, his former hitting coach with the Rangers. In no way, shape, or form did he ever feel like he was um, creating somebody. He said, "I was trying to figure out who they were. I was uncovering who they were. That was my job as a hitting coach." I thought that was so profound to say, so simple, but it's how we should all be. Right.
1: And and you know what? It's it's. I look at you know me. I've used music and and sport a lot as analogies, and um, I think when you look at what's going on with the capability of young of young. Um, musicians they're doing things that you know a generation or two ago were unheard of for you know 12 15 16 17 year olds because they have at their fingertips a, a tool like the internet that they can watch um, people play and learn from that instead of waiting to someone for someone to come to their home and have to give them a lesson and that's pushed them to the point where they have all the upside, Um, that we might see with some of these prodigies in the sport world, but there's no negative to it because they don't have, you know, there's no ACL tears or, you know, uh, Tommy John tears in uh, a saxophone player or an ACL tear in a drummer because they don't have those same risks that are involved, but at the same time, they're able to, you know, achieve these amazing things. Um, And I, it's not to say that the body in, in sport should be able to, I think we have to, pull back our kids a little bit. And it's tougher on the sports side because the genie is out of the bottle. We have, I had a meeting yesterday with the head of a soccer club we're looking to do some work with. He said they have 85% of their kids are playing soccer only. And, you know, I think that's a little bit of a problem. We have to try to address that because that is not making for a well-developed athlete or person.
0: And from looking at soccer, what would be a good complement sport? for soccer
1: lacrosse basketball so because they are using their hands a little bit yeah i mean look soccer's in the fall lacrosse is in the spring and then basketball obviously from the concept of you know offense and defense and and being able to develop your feet in all different ways you know your agility skills and you learn you know you need to learn how to sprint. i think if you played soccer and track i think track is a great uh you know, I grew up in a town with a big track program and everyone went through it in phys ed where you learned and did, did the basic track events. And I think that's another you know thing you still see these days with a lot of big time football players were big time track stars because they learned how to run and jump and do all those things properly. Yeah, right.
0: The basics, the, the competence of, you know, as we started in the beginning, the lock get locked in on a competency that's revolving around uh, movement. And it's really transferable almost anywhere. What What are the things you know? And I, I don't. I don't want you to. If you're not working with these guys yet, or if it it, it compromises what you're working with them on, but what are some things that you'll want to address with this this soccer team, or just a soccer team in general? Once you get them.
1: So this is a good opportunity because they came to us to kind of help them with their. Uh, with their preparation, with their uh, warm up, pre practice, pre game, and and you know we've gone through this uh, several times. This guy, a uh, partner of mine on these uh, projects, we collaborate. I'd say more of a collaborator that we're going to work with their coaching staff to show them how to properly prepare their their athletes for practice. And there's not one stock, boring warm up. Uh, we don't call it warm up because it has this connotation that is kind of you know, boring and static, and you know almost unimportant. So we call it everything we call is preparation, and uh, it's a great uh, concept. And if we can follow through it, it's really going to be beneficial to them because it's going to uh, not only make that preparation period more effective. There, there's also a way to get a lot of act- athletic development work done if you have a a really good 10 to 12 minute warm up, and it's diverse and it's progressive. And this is for any sport, and you're doing that. You know, obviously, in a high school setting, you're doing that five or six days a week. That's five or six times ten minutes on a minimum. You're talking an hour, uh, an hour a week for the entire season of high quality work. And then, obviously, if you could do more more work and practice, but that's at your minimum. So, and, and if you're doing this general athletic development work, that's really making good use of your time. And, you know, the phrase they like to throw around now is micro dosing. But that's basically that's basically the concept of micro dosing. You're talking about six, 10, 11, 12 minutes. Of good athletic development work that's worked into the practice and that builds up over time.
0: Give me because we I, and I may be doing what you're saying. or I may not be, but so I'll give you baseball for an example with our baseball team. We have every player has their own individual warm up when they come in and some are, you know, close enough to where they can partner. Uh, but they come into practice. It's usually 12 to 15 minutes and it, before they can do anything else in practice, the first thing they always do, everybody's got a jump rope, two minutes minimum jump rope, get your blood flowing. And then they get into their warm up. usually position base. Some of it's base running base, but it's, it's skill. It's, it's deep rooted in skill. Um, and like our catchers, they have a six minute routine to get into their they're blocking and receiving, um, and it's somewhat live. I hate doing dry stuff, especially if they have the skill down. Um, our position players are doing uh, modified feeds, you know, first uh, shortstop, second base. Pitchers and first basemen uh, doing somewhat of a controlled PFP where it's, it's shorter distances. But what, what kind of things would appear in your 10 to 12 minutes?
1: Well, for especially a field sport where there's so much running and our emphasis is on teaching athletes how to run, we I like to include drills that when performed properly contribute to their getting better at the skill of running. And it's complex, it's a complex concept, but the idea is with a series of very simple commands and the way you're making them run through whether it's whether it's a cone pattern or whether it's just a straight run um, with some instruction, you're you're teaching a large group how to run, which can be very difficult. If you if you're trying to teach minutia with every step, how their foot should be in the ground, you know, there's certain things that I do when I coach that kind of gets the body in the right position, so that once they do the drill properly, it's almost like they have to be running better just to do the drill right. So that's in a big picture how we do it. You know, it starts at at a half speed, you know, we're never going out there and going full speed right away, but at the same time, we're not going out there and spending 10 minutes of static stretching where they're sitting on the ground. They're on their feet the entire time with either, you know, with the combination of running, shuffling, backward, run rotational change of direction um, with dynamic movement in between, whether it's this mobility lunge series we do in all three planes, uh, so we we have uh, quite a toolbox we uh, can dig into to pull out elements for this warm up, and it's tough, Dave, because like I, I'm co- like a lot of coaches use warm up as time for them to let the kids run around and they don't have to coach. I you know I coach throughout an entire warm up.
0: And why, why is and I, I think you've showed me some of this with the Schmidt kids with Ashley, Olivia, and Aiden when you first got them to train them for basketball. Um, and we're teaching them really how to run and get the most speed. Just so you know, positive, I shared on the show, all three of those kids are doing great this year uh, in in large part because of you. Ashley's playing major minutes at Dominican right now. She's doing the ball extremely well. Um, Olivia's down at DME, uh, one of the top prep programs in America, top 10 in the country, and she's their starting point guard, leading them in scoring right now and has been MVP of the last, I think, three tournaments they've been in and, Young Aiden, the baby of the group, even though he's the boy. Uh, I know last game he scored 21, but he looks extremely athletic and bouncy. right now he looks so great job contributing to all those. I know Artie was very, very happy with you. But why is that 12 minutes so important?
1: Well, you know, there's a whole I have this whole idea of that in that when there's been no discipline involved, you introduce some discipline and you're going to get improvement. So, you know, you could take the kid who doesn't study. And, you know, this is a silly example, but it kind of gets the message. He doesn't do any studying. And then he decides to read every third page in his textbook instead of every other page. And his grades go up a little because he just introduced a little bit of discipline. You know, I'm, I'm talking about that, but with really good work in it. And it's a lot of work that isn't done. It's a lot of things that we don't see or we're not coaching it. So it's done correctly in the warm up. And I just I see lazy warm ups wherever I go. You know whether it's a major college or whether it is um, a high school. There's just a lot of wasted time. So you know if you're if you're taking a good ten to twelve minutes to develop any skill and you're doing that every day, it's going to c- accumulate into a, a benefit over time.
0: So some of it has to do with being you know, disciplined. So there's a higher purpose to what's going on. But your purpose is to teach kids the foundation that you you've been on since day one, since the day we met. And that's the proper way to run. Yeah. Uh, being the foundation. So no, I like it. It's, it really it's complicated simplicity. I mean, you're dealing with two concepts, discipline and running. And uh, I think that's phenomenal. That's what I like about the way you approach things. Um, other people try to make it complex just for the sake of being complex. And you're not yeah, that it's, it's hard
1: out. enough. You're right. It's, it's complex enough when you make it simple I think there's people who want to mystify things instead of demystify things to make themselves feel better or make themselves feel like they're the only ones that can get it, and they create this little, you know, this club. I, I think one of the problems with football is they like to comple- It's a great sport to complexify things instead of to decomplexify it. So, oh yeah, you got, so you got tons of coaches, I, and I'm, that's how I. I always studied
0: football when I was coaching collegiately. I thought they were 25 years ahead on everything, um, recruiting especially. But I've never seen so many coaches in my life. My God, there's a. Yeah. I think one. And I won't mention the college. One of the colleges I was at, they had a tight end coach, but in their offensive system, they didn't utilize a tight end. And I'm like, what the heck's that guy do?
1: <laughs> in case, so, just in yeah, case, just
0: in case they decide to. There was like one package, I guess, that possibility. So, um, what, what else you want to close out with? Covered some great topics today with you. And well, I, I, always get you I, I always get you to go off to right and left because I've got so many questions. Most of them are selfish. They're all about <laughs> me. So. Let's well, uh, I think we're, not- we're
1: good because I think we kind of we we went with that movements, uh, not muscles, and that it, it allowed us to get to some other things. And uh, we'll get to the, um, you know, I'll leave I'll leave everybody with this, uh, uh, because I think it's it's again we're, it's a it's an area where people have complexified to the point where we lose sight of what's in, important. But you know, if you want to, you know, people always talks about talk about mental toughness, and I, I think that's a, a made up. Phrase. I think it's an excuse to to mindlessly push athletes when they need a little more mindfulness. But you know the way that you um, the way that you build confidence is by building competence. So I think we have a lot of people that misunderstand what both of those things are. And you know I touched on it with you in in the notes I sent you. But you know some people think because you're strong in the weight room that you're competent in some way, some narrow way that is going to make you competent in some larger way and in some way that how that makes you uh, confident and it gives you false confidence instead of true confidence. So I I think we're going to leave everybody with that. And I think we're going to start with that next week because that could lead to a whole branch of a bunch of different branches of discussion.
0: Great. And uh, you know you can find the hot corner with Coach Sal on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Um, obviously, you can find them under the umbrella with Real Voices of the Game Productions on the Twitter. I'm now on Facebook and Instagram. I gave in, and uh, we're getting a great following on there. How can they find you, Sal? Uh,
1: I am on Twitter at, at Sal Marinello. I am on Substack uh, at uh, at Coach Sal M's Substack. And I am on Instagram, which, like you, I'm, I'm, late. I'm late to uh, the game. I was on it and kind of let it go by the wayside. But I'm on Instagram now, Coach Sal's Playmakers. That will give you a really good idea of what I do with all of my clients. I try to put video up. Uh, it, it's work. These videos, Dave, are all works in progress. I'm not saying that what I show is instructional level because – What I do is pretty complex, and uh, like you said, there's a lot of chaos involved, so there's a a lot of chaos sometimes in in what we're doing, but we're always coaching through these workouts and through these exercises to get them better, but it'll give you a good idea for what I'm doing, and I also have little like three-minute videos to touch on some of the things that we can expand on during this podcast. And I follow all those as well, I, you can't get
0: away from me and I'll speak to the audience. It's great information. It's free information. Take it. It's uh, it's good stuff. Um, to our 9,500 subscribers, make sure you download, listen, like, and subscribe. It helps us continue to do the good work that we're doing here with shows like the hot corner with coach Sal. If you feel like you want to go to com, donate directly to the show. Uh, it'll go directly to the hot corner with coach Sal and we appreciate all the support and, I appreciate you commenting on the video we did, I did get a, I'm getting comments from former teammates right now. And one of them asked me, this isn't, this is not a true DAGs drill unless there's a blindfold involved. I have a <laughs> reputation for dribbling blindfolded in my, my drill work just to kind of understand the count my steps and whatnot. And I told him back, I said, in today's world, I don't think I could put that out on video. I'd be in some court of law right now. Social services would be uh, yeah. driving up my driveway. If I had my kids blindfolded. too many negative connotations. So we'll keep them. We'll keep their vision free here. So, thanks again, Sal. Great show as usual. We appreciate you. You made our audience smarter today. I know I got smarter, and we look forward to next week.
1: Uh, I, I enjoy every minute of it. I'm looking forward to next week too. Okay, this is Dave
0: D'Agostino with Sal Marinella signing off from the Hot Corner with Coach Sal on the Real Voices of the Game production.